Welcome to the Rehope Belfast podcast. We're so glad you're taking the time to listen to the message from Sunday. May this message be a blessing to you today. Well, hey, it's so good to be together in God's presence. And uh, I'm going to speak this morning, as I said earlier, um, on uh, just kind of pushing into the area of justice. And so as we start, uh, I want you to, in a moment, just close your eyes. Uh, for those of you who are with us, um, this is, I think, I, this is a reworking of a talk that I gave maybe back in 2018. So some of you uh, may have heard this at one point or another, but the majority will, of you will have not. Uh, and so this is a reworking of that. But th- this is a moment in, in the world where actually we need to wake up um, to, to what is happening. Uh, and so, um, yeah, just go ahead, close your eyes. And I'm just going to read this piece over us. And this is kind of a bit of imagination. But imagine that you have no job, no money. You live cut off from the rest of society in a world ruled by poverty and violence. Your skin, quote unquote, is the wrong color. And you have no hope that any of this will change. Around you is a society governed by the iron law of achievement. Its gilded goods are flaunted before your eyes on TV screens, and in a thousand ways, society tells you that every day that you are a worthless person because you have not achieved anything. You're a failure, and you know that you will continue to be a failure because there is no way to achieve tomorrow what you have managed to not achieve today. Your dignity is shattered. Your soul is enveloped in the darkness of despair. You hear mention of a rise in temperature affecting the weather. You hear of floods, of fires. You feel helpless, unsure of what to do, how you could help, how you are going to survive. What does tomorrow look like when today is so filled with pain? And so, Spirit of the living God, over this moment, as we just pause and take breath, as we consider who we are becoming, as people of faith, as people on a journey with Jesus, may your spirit guide us, lead us into your truth today. May our hearts burn with what it is you want to put on our hearts. But spirit of the living God, we want to be guided by you, guided by your word. But oh God, would you open our eyes to what is going on in the seen and the unseen around us in the world. So Father, please, may you be present with us and may we present you our full attention right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today I'm going to talk on creation. I'm going to talk about this earth that we call home. Some of you, let's just call it out. When I mention the word climate change, instantly in your mind you go, that's a load of rubbish. Some of you read the stuff that's going on in the news and you just think, that has nothing to do with me. It feels like a faraway reality and it has no, no correlation to your very life right now. Some of you have never even thought about climate change, let alone have engaged in it. I'm not going to ask for hands or anything like that. But I ask that in these moments that we've just got together in this next short while, that you 
would just hear some of the words that I would have to say. And I'm, I'm not in any way a climate expert. I'm not in any way wanting to push an agenda onto us as a church. But I do want us to consider what is it that the Bible speaks about when it talks about the things of justice, when it speaks about our role within society as humans within this world of humanity and this global economic system that is interconnected and interwoven into every single aspect of life. We need to consider what role do we possibly have to play? Because it's not just up to the politicians, as we've come to know, and it's not just up to you know, those who are keen for it to make a difference. It involves every single one of us. But I do think that within the Bible, woven within the pages of Scripture, all the way through from Genesis through to Revelation, is this clear understanding and mandate which is birthed in Genesis and then is lived out throughout every single part of Scripture, throughout Jesus' earthly ministry and beyond, is this call for the church to understand and for the people of God to understand that we have a role to play in stewarding the world. That's the language that we see in Genesis. And in loving our neighbor, which is the language we see Jesus use, we have a role to play which goes beyond just understanding how nice your garden looks and keeping your house tidy. It goes way beyond that. And so just like a stone that is dropped into a pond and there's a ripple effect, we need to see that every single thing that we do has a ripple effect. And for the most part, dare I say, for the most part, we have no clue how far those ripples extend. But we'll come on to that in a moment. So, everyone up for this? Anyone want to head to the door? Because <laughs> it's there. Oh, by the way, when we come to leave, we've got to leave by that door. Just while I remember, we can't go out that door. But we'll come to that later. <laughs> so, what we're going to tackle right now then, and, this, and there, is, there is no way and no part of me is casting any form of judgment because I do not have all this together at all. I do not recycle with the best of them. I do not buy ethically with the best of them. Like, we need to understand. I, I, I'm casting no, no judgment. But right now um, is, a, is an important event. Starting today in Glasgow, COP26, uh, just earlier on in August of this year, a landmark United Nations report um, gave us the starkest warning yet that we're facing a climate emergency. In the report, it says, we're on course for a catastrophic global temperature rise that will put our whole world at risk, and the impacts are accelerating. The UN Secretary General, Antonia Gutierrez, said that the working group's report was nothing less than a code red, quote-unquote, code red for humanity. And so starting today is the event which has the potential to be, well, I don't think it's potential, it will be a world-defining event. And the role that the church and us as Christians play is vital in that we don't let these moments pass us by without a single whisper and breath to God, without a prayer, without a call to action, without a standing up and saying, I am aware and I'm willing to play my part. As, uh, as Ruth Valerio of Tear Fund says, COP26 is a make or break moment for our world. And some of you are listening to this opening spiel and you're thinking, what has this got to do with God? What has this got to do with the Bible? What's this got to do with prayer? What's this got to do with discipleship? What's this got to do with who we are right now in Belfast? And I would say everything. It's got everything to do with our discipleship, with our walk with Jesus. It's got everything to do with who we are in the language that we've been talking about over the last number of weeks of who we are becoming. Are we becoming people who just bury our head in the sand and say, we are not of any earthly good? And so to hell with the world, excuse my language, but that's what some of us would think. To hell with the world, what's going to happen is going to happen and we'll just get on with it. We'll just see it burn and crack on with our lives and I'll just live next day as if it's my last. For some of us, that is our attitude. But others of us, our attitude, and I would dare to say, I would 
okay, maybe this is me pushing an agenda. I do think that we need to have an understanding that the world that we are creating in the next steps is going to have an impact on the generations to come, in my children, in their children, and the children to come. What is going to happen and take place is going to happen on our watch. And we can't sit idly by, because I do think that within the scriptures, that, that, that this is a call which is so filled with discipleship. C.S. Lewis says this, through our actions, we are all becoming either immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. I love that. We're either becoming immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. What is it? That, what side of that coin do you want to flip onto? Do you want to be someone who, is, who, who, who plays a part in seeing everlasting splendor come to be lived out, or do you want to be an immortal horror? It's damning language, but actually the root of it is this, is that from the moment <laughs> that the world began, Genesis 1, 28, we see that God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. So from the beginning of creation, we're given this call of stewardship to look after the world. And then we read on in Mark 12 in the New Testament. This is Jesus speaking. And Jesus asks the question, which command is the most important of all? And Jesus then recounts and recites those words from Deuteronomy 6, which we declared earlier. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh is a God, Yahweh alone. And then Jesus goes on, and says, the second command is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater command than these. No greater command than loving God with all your heart and then loving your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater command. So when you see these two pieces next to each other, you see the Genesis call to stewardship of the earth. And you see Jesus' call of discipleship, which is loving God and loving your neighbor. I think intrinsically woven into those is that we are called to be people who play our role in seeing society, culture, and all things of this world be made whole. We join with God in seeing the redemption of all things. And the redemption of all things is not just about our souls and getting healthy with God. The redemption of all things is that we would see the redemption of all things, meaning the trees and the fields and the birds and the animals being redeemed and the creation that God has begun back in Genesis 1 that was broken, that it is made whole again. It is both and. That there is a direct correlation with loving our neighbor and the care that we, that we take for this earth. Micah 6.8, which is probably the most well-used verse when it comes to talking about justice. It says, Mankind, he has told each of you what is good. And what is it that the Lord requires of you? To act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. Or in the message translation, it says it this way. In Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, he says, But he's already made it plain how to live, what to do, what God is looking for in men and women. He says, it's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in love. Don't take yourselves too seriously, but take God seriously. Like right now, there are so many voices who are speaking up with a strong rhetoric saying that if we want to see an end to things like extreme poverty, extreme levels of abuse, extreme levels of violence, he says we must, we've got to take a stance towards tackling things like the climate crisis. Because again, we live within an interwoven web of relationships where, where one part of a system fails, other things begin to unravel. Other things begin to unravel. So where there is extreme poverty, which comes about as a result of a drought, well then that begins a whole series of events which end up in abuse, which ends up in slavery. There are more people in slavery right now than at any other time in history. Do, do you know that? More people right now caught in those systems of slavery than any other time in history. Like, are we aware of what is going on? Like, there, there, are, there, there are systems in play within our world that are interwoven, and every single thing has a knock-on effect. 
And so we need to see that actually how we begin to view these disasters that are going on in the world and how we view this is a discipleship issue. You know, right now, this world, this, I mean, if you've been switched on to the news, this year, on top of all that else has been going on with COVID, the heat waves across North America and Canada were their worst in decades, perhaps ever. Rain falling for the first time since record began on Greenland's highest peaks. Rain fell in Greenland for the first time since records were made. Wildfires on a huge scale swept across Greece, Turkey, California. China experiences worse flooding. And now just those pieces there are just a snapshot. Here, there's a few pictures. Um, these are things, that, these are just small snapshots of, of what has gone on in the world. And there are so, so many other stories, uh, what has gone on and stuff that's gone on in our, in our, in our lands as well. I mean, this, this year, when, when we had that heat snap and everyone was like, yeah, the heat's amazing. And like so many people died as a result of the heat. We, we like, we're not set up for it. And so that, like, this is happening, not just far away. This is happening on our doorsteps. And the thing that we need to see is that with each of these weather reports, it's when we go, oh, it's just weather. But each of those weather reports and all the things that happens has a humanitarian impact. It has a people impact. It's not just that it was really cold. It's that actually people died because of the cold. It's not just it was really, really hot. It's like people died because it was really hot. There were lives lost in floods and the heat families devastated due to loss of crops, loss of housing, loss of income. And each of these narratives, as I was saying earlier, you then begin to see a humanitarian crisis unfold. And this has been at play and at work since the beginning in Genesis where you see Adam and Eve and the fall. But where we see hopelessness become rife through communities, we see oppression, violence, mistreatment of women, mistreatment of children, loss of natural habitats, tearing apart of environments. And oftentimes, the sad thing is, this is often done in the name of progress, quote-unquote, and in the name of someone achieving and getting a leg up in society. But oftentimes, it's not that way. Everyone glad you came to church? <laughs> because what I want us to see, and this is where we now go, we're going to just flip a page a little bit. Let me address one view that is held by... Uh, held by some and therefore hold some tension when concerning the issues of justice. And some of you might sit in this boat this morning. Let's just go back in history for a bit. In the 20th century, the American church divided between the liberal mainline uh, church that stressed social justice, and then on the other side, you had the fundamentalist churches that emphasized um, personal salvation. And for many, and this view still is pervasive through the church today, for many, it was the view that the role of the church was solely that of the proclamation of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Solely that. And therefore, we have no, like the church has no voice when it comes to areas of justice. But over time, a new view towards this began to emerge. We go back again in a long while. In England, there were many prominent voices who began to challenge and question the role of the church in the midst of a society that was increasingly full of poverty and questionable moral values. In the 1800s, uh, the author Robert Benton Seeley once said, people, not do, people, do, not care about, um, people not, do not care about eternity if they haven't had their breakfast. It's just that simple notion of if someone is hungry and their world is falling apart, you begin speaking to them about eternity, then they're not going to listen. And so the, the voices began to emerge, voices like William Wilberforce, who pushed for um, his fight to abolish slave the, the slave trade. These are voices that began to look out at society and go, hold on a minute. 
We've been proclaiming the good news and proclaiming the gospel, but against the backdrop of pain, against the backdrop of abuse, against the backdrop of so much that is not healthy within society. Um, Lord Shaftesbury um, was deeply challenged by what he saw in society. And uh, he began to change a whole series of laws. There's a picture here of um, a, a, a guy, a young boy who's a chimney sweep. And, uh, and the thing that, when, when looking into this, the thing that really got me was that this boy is probably about the age of Reuben, my son, who's six. He's maybe a little bit older, I don't know, maybe, maybe about six. And, uh, and so poor families, they sold their children into bondage. And this is happening in the UK. We've got to bear this in mind. This is not far, far away. This is in the UK. Poor families sold their children into bondage, and as a result, many died. Some became stuck in the chimneys. Others died from inhalation of fumes or the effects of toxic gases. And Shaftesbury went to Parliament on a number of occasions um, to ban the employment of children's sweeps. He began in 1840. Five times over the years, he went to Parliament and kept pushing for it. And only in 1875, some 35 years later, was the practice finally outlawed. It took 35 years for those in Parliament to stand up and go, hold on a minute, yes, maybe it's bad that children are dying as a result of them going up chimney. Do you see the injustice? Like, and this is, this is happening in the UK. This is not in a faraway land. And so um, Shaftesbury, he presented evidence of children being stolen, forced into sweeps employment. They had pins forced into their feet under the lighted fires. They were forced to sweep the chimneys with a fire burning underneath them unless they, like, because they were trying to run away. Like, this is brutal. Shaftesbury, in one of his talks before Parliament, as he shared stories of the children who had suffered sores and bruises and deformities and burns, he described to Parliament the practice as satanic. And he said this line, he said, the rich prefer not to ask how their chimneys are cleaned. And he said, the country could never claim to be Christian while such practices continued and the earlier laws continued to be broken. And that line, the rich prefer not to ask how chimneys are cleaned, haunted me when I was reading those words. Because I think, isn't it so true today for so many of us that we would prefer not to know so many things. We'd prefer not to know where our clothes are made, how they're made, who makes them. We'd prefer not to know. Like I, I started to watch, and this is calling myself out in shame, I started to watch a panorama documentary that's on the iPlayer. Go back and watch it if you want. Um, on uh, on Coca-Cola. And, uh, and it's on the 100 billion Coke bottles that are made every year, made out of plastic. 100 billion Coke bottles are made every year and then sent around the world, all over the world. I can't even get that number in my head. 100 billion plastic bottles distributed around the world. And so in this, in this documentary, it, 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 it's showing pictures. I think I put a picture, maybe. Yeah, here we go. Uh, of the amount of Coke bottles that wash up on beaches. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's horrific. The numbers are horrific. They're staggering. And, uh, and they're just showing up in all these places all around the world. Um, and these bottles aren't recyclable. So, they're, 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 so there's nobody, but the thing with it, and here's the thing, you know, so often we would rather not be confronted with the truth of what is going on in the world. And what did I do 10 minutes into the documentary? Whilst I was drinking a bottle of Coke, bear I add, I turned it off. <laughs> because I'd rather bury my head in the sand and go, I don't want to watch, I don't want to look at, those, at what is happening. But isn't that so true that for so many of us, and maybe you're like, no, it's just you, Josh, I'm, I'm really fully aware. Um, I, I, like, 
that, that this is something that we do. We all do. We bury our heads in the sand and we think, that is someone else's issue. I don't have to deal with it. I don't need to think about where my clothes are made. I don't need to think about it. I'd rather not know. Just like Shaftesbury went before Parliament and said the rich would prefer not to ask how the chimneys are cleaned. There are so many things that go on in life that we would rather not know. We'd rather turn a, turn a blind eye to and we'd rather say that is somebody else's deal to deal with. I would rather not know. The World Economic Forum released findings in 2016 in which they said, if we keep producing and failing to properly dispose of plastics at predicted rates, plastics in the ocean will outweigh fish pound for pound by 2050. Ugh, like That's horrendous when you read stats like that. And you can say, yes, yeah, stats are stats. And blah, blah, blah. But like, the reality is that they are forecasting that like, the world is going nasty. Like It's not going in a good direction. And how we think about and how we process such findings is so important. You see, to go back to Shaftesbury, this is one example like where Shaftesbury began to see that his life of faith had to count for so much more than just about saving souls. Shaftesbury once said, when people say we should think more of the soul and less of the body, he says, my answer is this. The same God who made the soul made the body also. If the body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, as St. Paul proposes, it ought not to be corrupted by preventable disease, degraded by avoidable filth, and disabled for his service by unnecessary suffering. I think that's so true. If this same God who made the soul made the body, should we not also care for the body? If this same God who made the heavens and the earth, who sees you and recognizes you as a son and a daughter in whom he is well pleased, do we not have a position of care? towards one another's bodies, towards the well-being of those who are our neighbors, maybe literal neighbors, but also neighbors around the world? Do we not have a position of care? Jonathan Edwards, in a sermon he delivered on July 8, 1741, he said in, in a discourse on the duty of charity to the poor, he said, where have we any command in the Bible laid down in stronger terms and in a more urgent manner than the command of giving to the poor? Edward saw that when the Spirit enables us to understand what Christ has done for us, as a result, poured out on our behalf, as his body was broken for us, so too should we break our bodies for others. So too should we become aware that all that God has made, God created the heavens and the earth, and God is the one who cares for every single one of his creation, every child, every boy and every girl, every man and every woman, and he cares for every blade of grass and every tall tree. He cares. And he is longing for each and every one of us to come into a right relationship with him. One in 16 New Testament verses and one in 12 in the Gospels speak of God's passion in his heart towards the poor. Like when we read something, they like God cares for what is going on in the world. He cares for the well-being of others. Timothy Keller in his book, Generous Justice, which is just a phenomenal book. He says, if you are trying to live a life in accordance with the Bible, the concept and call to do justice are inescapable. He says, we do justice when we give all human beings their due as creations of God. Doing justice includes not only the righting of wrongs, but generosity and social concern, especially towards the poor and the vulnerable. And he finishes that quote by saying this line. He says, this kind of life reflects the character of God. A life that is poured out on behalf of others is a life that reflects the character of God. And so what I want to say this morning is simply this. 
we cannot bury our heads in the sand and say it's someone else's issue. I would say that this is fundamentally a discipleship issue where we begin to see that actually we are made in the image of God. We are made as his image bearers, as sons and daughters of the king. And as Jesus calls us to love our neighbor, what does the loving our neighbor look like? I would go as far to say loving our neighbor looks like that we begin to think about these issues of injustice. That when a gathering like COP26 is happening, that we begin to say, actually, like this has a potential to change the world. And so therefore, I don't want to just sit by and do nothing. I can't physically go to COP and I can't get involved in those conversations. But what I can do is I can call the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You can speak to them. And I can say, God, would you intervene? God, would you act? God, would you bring your wisdom to come to bear on those who are gathered in those rooms? God, would you give those people who are gathering in those rooms who have the power to make change, God, would you give them your heart towards your world? So we can stand in that gap and we can pray. And we can pray our best prayers on behalf of others, on behalf of this world. Why? Because God cares and he's calling us as his sons and daughters to care. Zechariah 7 verse 9 says, this is what the Lord Almighty said, administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. (laughs) The Bible is full of this stuff. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, he goes on, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against one another. Isaiah 1 verse 17, learn to do right. Do what? Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Isaiah 61, 8. For I, the Lord, (laughs) I, the Lord, love justice. I love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. And then the psalmist, Psalm 146. He is the maker of the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed, gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner, sustains the fatherless and the widow. He frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Do you see woven through scriptures from Genesis throughout the scriptures is this call for us to love God's heart of justice, for us to see that the interwoven web of relationships that we are part of, and we're, not, and we're part of every single one that goes on in the world, because I buy clothes that come from a country that I've never visited before. And someone has labored over this. I buy a Coke bottle that impacts some other beach far away in the world because it's not recycled properly. We are interconnected and interwoven in this global economic system that we cannot escape from. That is the world that we are part of. And so are we going to stand up and play our part? Or are we going to turn idly by and see that actually the love for the neighbor, the love for another, the love for someone else, that that just means I'm nice to someone who I know. No, it goes beyond that. It means actually we have a heart that goes towards others who we've never met before, who we've never encountered before, and maybe we will never see in our lives. In the words of Ken Wistema, who's the founder of the Justice Conference, He says this, justice is rooted in the character of God. It's established in the creation of God. It's mandated by the commands of God. It's motivated by the love of God. It's affirmed in the teachings of Jesus. It's reflected in the example of Jesus. And it is carried on today by all who are moved and led by the Spirit. So friends, who are we becoming? Are we becoming a people who care? 
Are we becoming a people filled with agape love towards others? Are we becoming a people who see that we are connected in an interwoven web of relationships, whether we see and experience it or not? Do we see that actually how we live our lives in the here and now is going to have an impact in the generations to come? That whether climate change is real or not, let's just push climate change out of the conversation for a moment. Will you love someone who you've never met before by just thinking about them? By thinking about the actions of what you do, of what you buy, of where you spend your money, of that plane that you get on, of that holiday you go on. Like everything is interwoven and interconnected. We cannot escape that reality. But are we becoming a people who are aware? Aware enough to care. Aware enough to pray. Aware enough to get involved in just even thinking that what we do matters. That what we do matters. COP26 is starting today. Will you pray? Will you pray? That doesn't involve you going anywhere. You can do that while sitting at home in your bedroom. Will you pray? Will you turn up next Saturday and join together with others from across these lands to pray together as one larger body to show that we care? Will you go on that march? Doesn't mean you need to be waving a flag. Doesn't need to meet. You don't need to raise your voice. You just being, in the, just being present, taking a stand and saying, you know what? On my watch, in this lifetime, I want to have the heart of God's compassion towards others. And so I'm becoming available and saying, God, here I am. Just like we looked at last week, here I am, send me. You know, we looked at last week, and I'll come to a close. We looked at last week how... God often calls us to do things that we don't want to do. (laughs) We looked at the life of Jonah, and God gave Jonah a call to go, and Jonah went, nope, not me, and he ran away. Sometimes God calls us to do things that are uncomfortable. He calls us to do things that we don't want to do. He calls us to do things that we don't feel equipped for, like Moses. (laughs) Send someone else, I can't speak eloquently. Like, go, send, like, I'm not, maybe, like, you, you don't feel equipped to do it. Maybe like some of you this morning, I asked, do you know what COP26 is? And you're like, nope, no idea. You know what, that's okay. No guilt, no shame. But maybe today, starting today, we just take that next step of becoming aware and saying, God, here I am on this earth. Here I am in this connection of relationships that I'm part of. Here I am in the workplace that I work in. Here I am in this church family. Here I am in my brokenness when it comes to recycling and not thinking about where my waste goes. Here I am. God, I'm ready. I'm available. Would you use me to see your kingdom come on this earth, to see lives changed and transformed, to see one person, one person, one more person be saved and brought to a place of freedom, not stuck in a cycle of trafficking, not stuck in a cycle of of slavery, not stuck like, here I am. I'm ready. I'm available. Whatever that looks like. Here I am. And for some of you right now, you're like, I don't know what that looks like. Well, just make yourself available. Just make yourself available. I'm going to come to a close. I was going to completely run out of time. I was going to go on a whole talk all the way from Genesis through to Revelation and the narrative of Scripture, but we'll do that another time. But I just think that like, we need to become aware that where shalom has been broken, shalom is this, uh, this whole this word that we see through Scripture of peace. But also it means this whole thing of flourishing and thriving. Where shalom has been broken, we have a mission and a mandate 
to partner with God, to seeing his shalom, his peace, his flourishing for all of, well, all of the world to come to bear. And he's looking for those who would be made themselves available. Would we, as a church, become a people who say, here I am? Would we become a people who pray? Would we become a people who care and catch God's heart of compassion for the least and the lost in the world? I'm going to end where we started. Why don't you close your eyes again? Maybe the band just want to come up as I read this out, but just close your eyes where you are. Imagine for a moment that you have no job. You have no money. You live cut off from the rest of society in a world ruled by poverty and violence. Your skin is the quote-unquote wrong color. You have no hope that any of this will change. Around you is a society governed by the iron law of achievement. Its gilded goods are flaunted before your eyes on TV screens and in a thousand words. Society tells you every day that you are worthless because you have no achievement. You are a failure and you know that you will continue to be a failure because there is no way to achieve tomorrow what you have not managed to achieve today. Your dignity is shattered. Your soul is enveloped in the darkness of despair. But the gospel tells you that you are not defined by outside forces. It tells you that you count even more that you are loved unconditionally and infinitely, irrespective of anything you have achieved or you fail to achieve. Imagine now this gospel not simply proclaimed, but embodied in a community, justified by sheer grace. It seeks to justify by grace those declared unjust by a society's implacable law of achievement. Imagine furthermore this community determined to infuse the wider community along with its political and economic institutions with the message that it seeks to embody and proclaim that this is justification by grace proclaimed and practiced imagine now a community of people who catch God's heart for humanity are moved by the spirit to deeply care about the climate crisis a people who see all communities all natural habitats all animals all who live and breathe on this good earth seen loved and cherished and all covered by the grace which we both proclaim and practice and so i wonder for you today who are you becoming who are we as a community here at rehope Belfast becoming will we heed the genesis call to steward the world will we heed the call of jesus to love our neighbor as ourselves will we heed the call to be a people 